Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon and I am your host. Today we welcome Jason Harris from Digital Dealership Solutions. Uh, he's a part of D- Digital Dealership Solutions and a few other businesses that I'll let him explain. But if you're on LinkedIn, you'll recognize Jason as the guy with the orange tie. And uh, he does a great job of branding and, and really puts a lot of great content for dealerships out there. And and really has a love for the fixed op side of the business. So I'm excited to have you on today, Jason. How are you? I'm doing good, Jay, man. And uh, I'm glad to be here. You know, we got to jam, was it last week together? So yes. and we, you came and did my show. Now I get to do your show. And um, man, anytime I get to talk about fixed ops, I get I get a little heated. So if, if, my, <laughs> if, my, if you're controlling the audio and it starts to rise, or if I use four letter words, can I use four letter words? You can, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just got to make sure. Yes. 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 Because you know, you're, this industry, right? Like, yeah. It's built on four letter words and three letter acronyms. So, <laughs> like, I, I talk this way and people go, why do you talk this way? I'm like, clearly you're not in the automotive business. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, if you've ever been in a shop before, you've most likely heard your fair share of F-bombs. So, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, first and foremost, I have to say that when we did the podcast last week, you really dropped a bomb on me that you're not Canadian. I thought, uh, I, I thought all along, I thought you were Canadian, but you're a Texan that moved to Canada. I am. I'm, 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 I'm originally American. Um, I've lived in Canada now for the last 10 years. I came up here right after the recession. I guess it's more than 10 years, almost 12 now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, worked for a large GM group that kind of went belly up and, uh, my wife was Canadian at the time. And I just thought I'd move to Canada, find myself another big dealer group to work with. Uh, boy, was I surprised when I got here. Um, (laughs) it was, it was definitely a, a, a kind of, uh, a back in time kind of experience. Like I, got, I jumped in my DeLorean and I drove to Canada and all of a sudden I'm 10, 15 years back and operationally and marketing. So it was great. I mean, I walked in with like a crystal ball and they're like, you know this stuff? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel really good about yourself. It is, but it's a little weird yeah. though. Cause like when I'm in the States and I'm speaking at events, I get introduced as the Canadian and I'm not. Um, but when I'm up here and I'm doing, I'm speaking at events, I get introduced as the American. So the American. I, I don't hey, even know. Hey, dual citizenship, right? Like, yeah, uh, you're, uh, you're good. Yeah. I'm, I'm dual citizenship in the world of automotive. There we yes. Go. Yes. There you go. So how, how did you get into the business? Oh dude, I was totally conned. I, yeah. was, I, was, I was like straight up. Like, you know, I, I love how I love listening to like people's origin stories because yeah. like, you know, occasionally you find someone who was born in the business, right? Yeah. Like their dad's dad was in it. And it's like, I love to say I had this amazing origin story. No, dude, I was straight up con. Like I had a buddy of mine that was working at a dealership and I was working at a radio shack at the time. So here I am dating myself now. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, Jay, you like selling stuff, right? I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I, I like selling stuff. Cause great. Why don't you come sell cars with me? I'm like, I like cars. I could yeah. do that. Little did I know he got paid a $500 referral check if I worked there for longer than 90 days. So he was asking everybody that he knew if they wanted to come sell cars. So yeah, man, I got into it. It was like, literally it was like a, a fish right in the water. I just, I was like, this is where I belong. And yeah. it's like, it, it was, it was really cool. I mean, my first month, you know, I, w- I was in top three of the sales team. And by month two, I was number one in the sales team. And I was just like, I, I loved it. I, I, I love I loved the environment. I love the people. 
I worked bell to bell for the first three months straight. Wow. Actually, I'll tell you a funny little story. Uh, when I first started working, you know, I was working in an American dealership. So it's very traditional that, you know, you cut the tie when you yes. do your first sale, right? Well, I, I, I like that, right? Because I remember the first day I got my tie cut and then every single customer I talked to, they're like, hey, your tie's cut. And then I got to explain to them. I got to tell them the story, how I was new and they're one of my first clients and I hope I don't bosh this and I'm not going to mess this up. And it was like, I got them to empathize with me. Yes. So they're like, they wanted to help me sell them a car. So, uh, you know, I wore that cut tie. I'm not shitting you. I wore that cut tie for like four weeks straight. <laughs> Finally, my sales manager came over to me and goes, Jason, like, I like what you're doing here, but you got to stop wearing that cut tie every single day. People are beginning to say stuff. I'm like, okay, fine. Do you still, do you still have the cut tie? You know what? I do somewhere. You should, should get find that thing it framed. I'm going to do, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a podcast one day with my cut tie. We should do like a whole theme just about cut ties. Yeah. Well, that's, there's a, I, where did that ever come from? Because it, I it is, no idea. it's an awesome thing. I mean, you see people out at like, they, I, I don't know when a general manager or sales manager is cutting a tie and, and uh, it's, it's cool. I see it on LinkedIn all the time. I still yeah. see it. And every time I see it, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that, that guy's going to wear that tie for a month. No. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So once, once you got into the sales business and in, in, into the sales side of a dealership, mm -hmm. what kind of, what was your growth through that? Because you've got a lot of experience in dealerships uh, that isn't just sales related. So how did you kind of grow through that part? Oh, you know what? Within the first six months of me being in this, Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, that's literally the dealership I worked at was like that. I mean, there was just the characters at this dealership was crazy. I mean, I remember like first two weeks I worked there, someone broke out in a fist fight over a split deal. Um, you know, like I, I just, I loved it. And I was like, first six months, I'm like, I'm going to own one of these. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to own one of these. Uh, and uh, I was like, okay, you know, nobody, there was no like growth plan to like dealership ownership. There was no book I could go buy of like, you know, you know, dummy's guide of how to own a dealership or something like that. So it was like, you know, I kind of had to like figure this out. Okay. So what, what, what qualifies me to be an owner? And I got to talk to a few owners and I realized the few owners I talked to had literally kind of been in almost every single role within a dealership. Sure. And it was that experience, that collective experience over years. And of course, money um, gave him the opportunity yeah, to, yeah, yeah, it's a big one, give him the opportunity to own a dealership. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I did exactly that. I, I worked my way through every single position. I mean, I remember when, you know, it was, I was about a year into the business rocking sales and I went and told my, my sales manager, my floor manager, I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go work as a service advisor for 40 grand a year. It's like, they're like, what the hell are you talking Start about? Start crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're making like a buck 60. Like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm going to go work as a service advisor. Wow. And uh, I did, and it was great. And um, I was the assistant service manager really quick after that. So then, and then I, so then I kind of bounced around. I, I played in parts. A uh, few, I, I, then I went to, they brought me back to the sales side of the business and they made me the director of internet operations because at the time they didn't have a better word for it. They're like, yeah. anything to do with these digital people, <laughs> you deal with them. I'm like, okay. Perfect. Um, and they're like, oh, by the way, we want to start this thing called a BDC. Can you do that too? I'm like, sure. Yeah. Gotta go Google it. <laughs> I'm like, what's a BDC? Oh, call center. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then that kind of dragged me back over there. And then I spent some time in the accounting because what I realized real quick is like everybody in the department hated the accounting department. And yes. I, I fundamentally wanted to know why. 
and it's like, so then I went and worked, I worked in the accounting department. Um, and then when I moved up here, I was a consultant for a bunch of dealerships because I had worked for so many different departments. Yeah. Um, you know, as a dealership, we kind of operate in these silos and it was, I was consulting on how we actually get rid of these silos and actually collectively work as a team. I did that for a few years and then I took a, a VP of marketing job for a big automotive group up here and uh, told him I'd give him a year of my life. If he got shit together, I'd give him another year of my life. I think I was like 10 months into it. I'm like, geez, you know, they're making this much doing this badly. I can go do it myself. And sure. that's what prompted me to go get my own dealership. So I bought a Mitsubishi dealership and uh, that was an experience. Whew, you know, being yeah. a startup, young person, young family, that was, that was very cool. But um, you know what's funny thing? I actually bought this one specific Mitsubishi dealership because they had three master technicians, wow. which it was really weird for any store, Mitsubishi store to have one, let alone three. Yeah. And I just, I knew sales was always gonna be a hard side of it. So I knew if I was gonna be profitable, I had to come from the fixed op side. And the fact that I had three master technicians, I wanted to build marketing and I wanted to build awareness around these three gentlemen. Because um, if you know Mitsubishi owners, um, they're a little funny. Yeah. Um, you know, there are ones that just kind of buy it because they buy it. And then there are like these really hardcore ones, like super owners, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like I needed to do that. And that's what I did. Went right into it, immediately started marketing the fact that I had these three amazing technicians. We built the, we built the fixed op operations business. Within nine months, we were 180% up in CPROs wow. than, than the previous owner. Uh, got to the point where like I just didn't have the capacity at the shop and the CEO of uh, Mitsubishi Canada at the time came to me and he goes, Hey, there's a store in Hamilton. It's like 45 minutes from me. They're like, would you be interested? I'm thinking to myself, service is flying right now. I need yeah. the extra base. So I did something stupid six months into it. I got a second location. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ambitious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the reason I bought it is because the, 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 the cycle well, actually they didn't even buy it. Hell, Mitsubishi gave it to me at sure. that point because they didn't want to lose the point, the, the point, uh, the, the spot, right? And uh, it had 11 bays. It was a three-car showroom with 11 bays. I was like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, how do they, like, explain that Mitsubishi side to me because it does feel – like that is a little bit of a different approach from an OE standpoint to uh, to the dealership. Mm -hmm. Was that is that something that they come to you with like a, a different style of marketing or a marketing plan, or is it um, is it more you get to put your own spin on it? How how does that work? Well, you know, every manufacturer is kind of have their kind of like roadmap of what a dealership should do. Yeah, yeah, I threw that away. <laughs> um, and just immediately started doing whatever I knew what to do. And, um, in the beginning it was, it was quite rough. It was, I was getting a lot of warnings about what I was doing and what I was saying and how I was doing it. And then, you know, they were looking at my financial statements and finally kind of went, okay, okay, we'll shut up and let you do what you gotta do. Um, and it was, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, the, the other reason I, I looked at Mitsubishi is from a sell side, it was going to be a great, like like a uh, uh, difficult, uh, difficult job to take on, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. This is going to be hard. That'll be fun. But then from the service side, see people buy Mitsubishi's because they keep them. Yeah. They buy them because they got a 10-year warranty, so they keep them. 
So you ever want to look, look at, look at a Mitsubishi dealership and look how many cars are continuing to come in service that have over a hundred thousand miles on them and they're five or six years old. I mean, come on. We both know that's what I want in my shop. I was yes. Like, mm, 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 yes. That's good. Yes. Um, so that's what attracted me to it was it's like the volume was going to be overly large, but the, the transactions were going to be amazing. And they were, they were beautiful. Yeah. You know, people wanted to keep these vehicles for a long time. They wanted that 10 year warranty and I was able to completely, you know, handle all their servicing needs. So it was a lot of fun. That's interesting. So what would you do with the dealerships then? Well, you know what? Um, I had three kids. <laughs> That'll um, have an impact. You know, I think anybody out there watching and listening right now who's been in that position knows that, you know, dealer life and, you know, young family life is not quite conducive in a lot of cases. So I had to make a judgment call and uh, I sold the dealerships and um focused on the family but of course at the same time i couldn't walk away from automotive you know how it is once it's in your blood it's like you're it's stuck a drug. you can't yeah. get it out of you like like you start getting the shakes like i gotta do it you know i was i was getting literally like the first like month or two after i like sold the dealerships i was immediately getting the shakes i was like okay well i gotta get back into this so uh immediately just like first thing made total sense was to go back you know open up that kind of that consulting and that training and development coaching of operations and let's do a marketing agency because they, my dealerships were so successful because we took such a, a different approach in our marketing efforts more of a branding approach necessarily than a Hey, we got big discounts. Come check us out. You know, like we didn't do a whole lot of that. It was really kind of showing the people and I built higher marketing campaigns around the individuals and that paid off huge for me. So, um, so, so yeah, I, cool. I decided to start a marketing agency and it made sense. Yeah, for sure. So I, I love the part where you, you forced yourself to maybe get out of your comfort zone and go into other parts of, of, uh, of a dealership. And I think that that's so underrated for mm -hmm. a young person coming up right now. And, and especially in the dealership world to, to get that exposure to the other, in, the, to the other uh, uh, parts of the business so that you can relate when a salesperson comes to you on the service side and you know, you know, what that salesperson is going through or, uh, you know, the parts person to the service department, like uh, trying to break down those silos is a, huge task like that's 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 it's incredible huge. yeah yeah i i, I, I was, I was in that. i was in a meeting just recently with a big dealer group and uh, I'm, I'm serious like used car manager sitting on one side of the desk and he wants to sucker punch the uh the service <laughs> department because he's 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 uh gouging him on all the reconditioning costs and then the parts manager wants to literally strangle the new car manager because the new car manager keeps selling parts under what the parts manager said he should be selling it for like and then accounting is just like hate you all yeah none of you can get my paperwork in time <laughs> all right they i am literally working like 24 hours a day towards the end of the month because i gotta close this month and you didn't give me crap when i wanted to so i mean i i, I walk in there and i'm like <laughs> this is gonna be fun um <laughs> so how do you approach that situation then like I, like in terms of trying to get them all to not hate each other well, you know what? The first thing is I got to figure out why the hell they hate each other. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but I'll tell you what it is. Majority of the time, it's the damn owner. They pin, they, they pin the departments against each other. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm serious. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting and they're like, well, your, uh, your net profitability this month was here. And, but you know what Bob did in service? I mean, you should <laughs> see this guy's numbers. And we're not spending nearly as much marketing on his department as we are on yours. So why can't you be more like Bob? 
So that's the first thing. And, yes. it, and, it, and I hate to say it, but majority of the time that is the case yeah. is that I find that the owner is actually kind of just like playing the departments against each other, you know, so for some reason that there's that, there's that slight tension or, you know, there's a push because I got to be better than that department. And I'm not a fan of that. Like no, that's not either. the way you manage people. And uh, so that, that's usually the first thing I have to identify is like why structurally what happened to create that level of tension between the individual departments and hate to say it, but nine times out of 10, it's usually the owner. Yeah. Yeah. That it's so true too. I've seen it a million times where they're pitting one and even dealership groups that have multiple locations pitting the one location against another location. And it just, I don't think it's healthy for uh, from a management standpoint to do that because, and then they, at the end of the day, they go back and they say, well, why aren't our people working together? Why aren't our, our locations? Oh, yeah. Why working are we, together? why are we acting like a team? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, well, dumb, dumb, you know, you, you, and you know what the funny thing, Jay, it trickles down. That's yeah. the fucked up part of this yeah. is it trickles down. So you treat your, your upper level management like that. And then guess what those management teams do? Your service manager goes and does the same thing to your service advisors. Well, you know, Jill over there's, uh, uh, you know, CP per RO is right here and yours is right down here. So I need you. And then they do the same thing with the technicians, right? Hey, you know, um, John's effective labor rate over there. I mean, you are here, like you must be being lazy or something like that because John is crushing it. Right. And so when we create that kind of mentality where we're just literally trying to create competition between the departments that trickles down into the individual teams, the advisor teams, the technician teams, the sales teams, it is just, it's just, it creates a horrible, horrible environment. And you'll never be able to create that oh so th- important thing that every dealership wants called culture. Yeah. It will never happen. No. Well, we wonder why A-level techs are always pissed off with their dealership. It's, you know, you're not getting gross margin. Well, you stuck me with a whole bunch of diagnostic work that I'm not, you know, <laughs> that, that we're not getting paid for. And, and it just create. you're right. It's such a volatile experience from a, from an employee standpoint, especially when it goes to that competitive, you know, and going to the numbers driven, I think there's a value in, in KPIs and going for them. But when you're pitting one person against another, it just isn't healthy at all. And, no, and I think it just is. drives people to be miserable. It does. It drives them to be miserable, drives them to drink. Um, yeah. in my case, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I do. I, yeah. majority, yeah. I think of, uh, of us in the industry, probably does. <laughs> but, so, but, but no, it's like, we, we have to separate that out. I mean, I was, I was consulting for a dealership last month and this, and, and I'm watching the service advisor literally rip into this technician because of his numbers. And I literally had to pull him off to the side. I'm like, dude, that guy has been on a, well, an, an engine rebuild warranty job for the last week and a half. What he has? I'm like, there's a whole lot of problems with what you just said. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't know the uh, fact yeah. that you didn't know that, <laughs> <laughs> right? And on, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to manage people just just based on those numbers, you know. But look though, look, I, I think there's there's I see that, and all I see is I just see opportunity. I don't see. I just say like, look, we we've there's been mistakes, but we can correct these mistakes. You know. Bring them up. We were talking a little bit earlier, you know, before we started the show was, you know, my big thesis is that we have to process our way to profitability. And a lot of that has to do with how we treat our people, right? And it's like how we manage those people or or lack of managing people. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a little of both. 
our numbers uh, in the service department are looking a little weak. Uh, what should we do? Let's change the pay structure because that will fix everything. So when you talk process, what, what, what are you talking about? Like what, what, when you start to dig your claws into a service department, we'll focus on service. What are you looking at for process? What are you looking, uh, maybe when you go into a dealership to add really low hanging fruit to clean up, um, sure. you know, what, what, when you first kind of analyze a service department, how do you go about it? Well, a lot of it has to do with the service manager was never trained to be a service manager. Yes. So they, look, they may have that intent to want to serve others. So it makes sense for them to be managing a service department, which is great. Sometimes I don't even see that, but anyways, um, <laughs> but you know, the bottom is they were never trained to manage people. Yeah. So that is usually one of the fundamental things that is missing. And the problem is that they think they have to manage the individual. And the way I try to train a coach is that we have to manage the process and let the process manage the people. All right. So stop managing people in general, right? Develop people. All right. Get them to want to achieve your goals and objectives through identifying what their actual goal and objective is. All right. But only manage the process. Let that process manage the people. So it never kind of comes back on you. It's always kind of this, just keep managing the process, keep managing the process. So one of the, you ask kind of one of the first things I start to do. Yeah. Is first thing first is I actually document what the process is. Cause I'll tell you right now. All right. They have a process for, well, let's just say an oil change process. Let's just say something simple like yeah. that. Right? 15 techs, all 15 techs have a different process. <laughs> That's common everywhere. Like, everyone is doing it slightly different. Yeah. You know, like they're, 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 they're inspecting the vehicle slightly different. They're checking in the vehicle slightly different. And, you know, when I start seeing these huge monster fluctu uh, you know, uh, fluctuating numbers when it comes to time and their effective labor rates and everything, I'm like, well, there, 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 there's your issue right there. I mean, you literally have one single process that's done 15 different ways. So that's usually the first thing is really just kind of coming in, starting with the true basics. And, you know, of course it does have to do with your effective labor rate, right? Like it's like, are we effectively using the time that we have to get the work done that we need to get done? Sure. And a lot of the times when the answer is no, it has to do with just broken processes. I'm telling you nine times out of 10, it's a broken process. You know, it's like, maybe it's even the process of, you know, what it takes to get the parts, you know, so on and so forth. So that's, that's usually where I start. When, when you start to document the process, and say you've got those 15 texts and the 15 texts doing it different ways. Mm -hmm. Are you looking, are you documenting every single one of their processes or talking to them or just identifying that there is an issue with like the lack of process? Usually it's lack of process. Okay. So, you know, I'll go out there and it's a, the first time it's just a lot of just watching and watching how they're doing it and then just kind of asking them questions. Yeah. So why are you doing it that way? Well, because it's just kind of the way I've always done. Okay, that's cool. I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and try to correct someone right out of the gate. Yeah. Can you hear my kids actually beating the crap out of each other in the background? I heard one kid, but uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that was the one that was taking the abuse. No. <laughs> You're fine. Well, uh, not a big deal. That's cool. That's that's the best part of doing podcasts from home, right? Like yes. Oh, believe me, I'm at the office for a reason. My my kid, uh, uh, what was I was in some meeting the other day at home, and and uh, he went on a riot of all riots so yeah yeah no, not a problem at all at all but it uh, just just makes it fun it does you know? it does having, yeah. having three kids is like running uh running a service department <laughs> three very different processes <laughs> well you know what though it, look ironically there's some truth in that right yeah. there's three totally different people see the problem is we treat every tech Thank the exact you. same yes and that's just not right 
Yes. You know, like I got three kids with three entirely different needs and you got 15 texts with 15 entirely different needs. If you're not spending the time to find out what those needs are and what their why is, and what I mean, their why, like, okay, they all look, all the technicians know what they do. Yeah. And if they're trained right, they all know how to do it. All right. But you got to find out why they do it the way that they do it. Like, mm-hmm. like, why are they doing it that way? You know, like, why do they show up? What is the, what would just, we'll start with the real basic. Why are they showing up? Why do, why are they even working? You know, uh, you might find out that it's because they're trying to pay for their three daughters' tuitions. All right, that's cool. And, you know, um, I had one younger tech that came in and I said, well, why are you working? Why, why are you picking up all these extra hours? What is this? It's like, I want to buy a jet ski. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, that's pretty awesome. I can, yeah. I can work with that. Yes. Let me help you try to get to that. And when you, when you start understanding your employees' whys, and every why is going to be slightly different, all right, then you can actually help them develop out a plan to get to that why. Once you've done that, all right, whatever process you give them, they're going to own yeah. because they're going to understand that that process is one step closer to them getting what they want. It's that with them effect. Like Great we don't point. spend enough time on that. It's the what's in it for me. Yeah. Right. Like how many times I, I, I get sit in a meeting and it's like, you know, we're reviewing the technician's numbers or something like that. And every single one of these numbers is in the benefit of the dealership. Not a single one of them is in the benefit of, of the actual time. technician. Like every yeah. single time. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I, I just feel like fundamentally to kind of get things started, we need to sit down and ask what we can do for our techs, not what our techs can do for us. Oh, that nice. sounded very political. Yeah, yeah. Very, very American right there. You, you cross back across the border. Uh, that, <laughs> so are, are techs skeptical of you when you, when they see you in there for the first time? I'm assuming you, you go. Oh, hundred percent. I walk in with, I walk in in this uh, suit with an orange tie and I'm just like, <laughs> like who the hell is this person? <laughs> and how much is he going to change our life? Yeah. And how much are they going to try to change their lives? And you know what, usually what I do is I introduce myself. I'm like, my name is Jason. I'm the guy to here to make your life easier. Nice. Oh, okay. Hi, my name's Carl. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, and, and I think that's what it is. It's just, you, you just I, I set up the stage real fast. Is that I, look, I'm not here to make the dealership's life easier. I'm here to make the tech's life easier. The when I'm able to do that, the dealership reaps the benefits. So I'm I'm very staff first, dealership second. Yes. Because I know staff happiness equates to dealership profitability. Directly. Hundred uh, percent, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, the most profitable service dealership uh, service departments I've ever visited. You walk back there, and everyone's happy. Yeah, you know they're having fun, they're smiling, they're joking with each other, they're singing songs. <laughs> it's just, right. They're just in a good mood, and that relationship between the front and back of the service department, being the advisor and the technicians, is 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 awesome. Like they they break bread together. Here's the one thing I've always kind of noticed too, is when I watch, I'm just kind of watching for culture and stuff like that. Technicians eat with technicians, advisors eat with advisors. I yes. hate that. Yes. I yes. hate that. I'm telling you the best, the best one I've seen is where a, a service manager actually structured lunches. All right. So that there is a combination of tech and advisor taking lunches at the same time. It's smart. Right. Yeah. That's really smart. I hadn't heard Little of anybody things. doing that. That's a, that's a really, really good idea. Huh. When you think about it, I mean, most techs look at their advisors and they're just like, well, those are those people that are out there and they're going to, they're are they not necessarily here to make my life easier? They're, they're here to make their own life easier. And they're here to make money. And it, then you, the favoritism thing where they're like, oh, he's giving Bob all the, the good work orders. And, you know, so I, I, I think that's interesting. And I think you, you hit on a really good point there where you're talking about their why to start off with. And, and I think that helps 
them buy into the process too, right? Because if they 100%. don't know that, they're going to say, hey, you know what? We've been doing it this way forever, or I, I've done it this way forever, and I'm not changing. But if you can kind of get them to understand why it's important to have a process and that, hey, we're not just picking on you to, to do something different just because, it's because this works and we can make your life much better be, as a result. Uh, and, and I think it, it's so cliche to find their why, but it also is so important in, in this regard. Like they got to know that you've got their best interest in mind. Yeah, it, look, it's, it's becoming the coach right? Like you, it, look, if we, a team requires a coach. Okay. So, you know, if you're running a service department right now and you want a team, then you need to be a coach. Hmm. Right. And a coach develops out processes that's good for the collective effort of the entire team, but develops the individual. All right. On whatever activities that they need to develop on. They don't come in swooping and just make these big monster things. It's like, you have to work one-on-one -on -one with each other. Yeah. So, once you get the buy-in, you're going into process, going back to that oil change analogy, uh, what is it with the process that's most commonly wrong? Is it just because there isn't a process or? Yeah, usually that's it. Usually yeah. the fundamental thing is just that's not a process. Got it. Um, and it also, it's, um, it also can just be based on like who's doing the work versus who's not doing the work. So again, it's just kind of coming down to like, you know, I love using sport analogies, you know, so it's just putting the right player on the right job. And, um, you have to use hockey and hockey analogies in Canada sometimes. And I, and I'm not a fan of hockey. So I'm like, I have to figure those ones out as I kind of go along. Right. Like I'm more of a baseball person. So it makes, it makes it really easy for me. I'm just like, right. Like you got a certain pitcher up there. You're going to put either a right-handed batter or a left-handed batter, depending on how they, you know, there's a strategy behind it all. Right. Well, and I, so, I, another point I think you hit on is, and I, I'm a big fan of this point in general is, we're so guilty as an industry of grouping every technician into the same bucket. Like we, yeah. we just think they're all the same person, like they're robots yeah. and, and we don't manage them differently. Or we, we just, how do you approach the different personalities? Because I think there's a, as broad a personality in the, in the shop as there is up front or anywhere else. Well, you got your shop coach, right? You have multiple coaches. You know what I miss? I miss the tower. You know what I mean? Like I, I miss it. the tower inside the, back oh, of yes, the shop. Oh yes, yes, yes. Like yes. It, it's you know I've seen a lot of these digital ones and they're cool, right? But I just remember you know because it was actually a position I played at one point, right? Where I was tower, and it's like I knew each of my techs. I knew which ones were having bad days. I knew which one just broke up with their girlfriend. I knew which one just got back from you know a bachelor party, you know, or whatever it was. And it was like I, I look, I structured every single job, who got what and when got what on purpose based on the individual and it was always kind of smooth sailing right but then i also but also in the back of my mind this is one thing that you know the the automated towers you know don't have is like i knew which techs wanted to develop themselves out to be better techs yeah. so it's like i knew taking a look at the schedule what appointments were coming in and i knew that this guy wanted to hone in his transmission efforts it's like, okay, like, look, we're looking a little light right here so I can give him this transmission job right now. I know it's going to take him longer than if I give it to Jim, all right? But if I give it to him, all right, it gives him that experience that he needs to continue to develop out so that he can start working on some of these other projects, these other jobs. Did you, and, did you talk to the techs about that part? And oh, yeah. More so like if Jim is upset because he could turn that transmission and turn hours, 
uh, and then it's the, you know, the favoritism game and like you're, you're trying to sort that out. Do you have that discussion with them up front? Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, look, I made everybody know right out of the gate that this department is, is a developmenting service department. This is not like, it, I'm not here to create favoritism, not here. Like I'm looking to develop out better technicians. That's it. That's it. That's my bottom line. That's actually what my job that's my one of my biggest job responsibilities develop out better technicians so that's what i'm gonna do so i work real closely with the foreman you know to be able to do that and i worked you know me and the foreman had a lot of conversations about you know whose strengths and whose weaknesses and you know are do they want to be better at that because if they don't that's fine i can leave them you know just being a grease monkey you know that's fine with me you know yeah. but like do they want to be a diesel technician do they want those do they want those kind of dollars right yeah okay well you know what look if we want to take someone, you know, it, it, look, if they're playing triple A, they want to go into the major leagues. Like it's not going to happen on their own. We, it's our responsibility as management to develop them so they can play, you know, major league ball. And it's the same thing. Like, you know, tech wants to be a, a diesel technician. Look, everybody wants to be a diesel technician. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Who doesn't so, want to be a diesel tech? <laughs> so, so when you leave a dealership, how do you make sure it doesn't all fall apart? Like, so once you go okay, so in- So that's, that's, yeah. that's a really important question. I'm glad you asked, right? It's not yeah. enough just to document a process, right? You have to have a measurable, um, you have to have some way to measure, measure the effectiveness of the process. Okay. Okay, so um, it's not like, I will, I'll go into some dealerships that actually do have documented processes. That's great. But how are we measuring the effectiveness of those processes? Well, I understand, process is not written in stone and it should never be written in stone. Right. It's more like written in pencil, okay? Because it can change and it should change, right? The, the first version of your process that you're documenting for development or training or whatever is never gonna be the last process, right? It, you're gonna have 14 variations of that process until you get to the place where you're happy with it. But the only way to actually improve your process is you have to have some way of measuring its effectiveness. So, you know, sometimes that's done on pencil and paper, other times it's going to be done within the DMS system. Like it, there's just, but there has to be a measurable element to every single process. Otherwise you never know if you actually have the right one or not. So are you giving the kind of the coaches, the tools then? Uh, once, the roadmap. Once, yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, look, a good DMS is a lot like uh, a cell phone, right? We only utilize 10% of what the thing can actually For sure. Do, right. Yes. So, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll go in there and depending on the system that they're using, I may have to show them, you know, ways to use it that they've never thought they could use it before. You know, um, I find that, you know, the providers are do a relatively good job of, you know, teaching dealerships the activities that are required to use the system. But they're not in the dealership enough to actually combine their processes to a way that they can actually measure the effectiveness within the systems that they have. So, you know, like I said, only 10% of the system ever actually gets used. Well, and a lot of it from my experience, and I use CDK as an example, is just the initial, the initial setup of it is so robust and getting the things where you want them to be at. I mean, that could essentially be a full-time <laughs> job for, for somebody at a dealership just to get things set up and, you know, work, 
it is crazy. And then if if there's not a certain option that you have that you need, but then it costs, you know, it's so like much sixteen hundred different reports in that system. <laughs> it's a three letter acronym. I got a lot of four letters, four letter words for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true, and it's it it's is. a lot of DMSs too, where it just it they're so robust. But there's you know. I like the simplicity of some of them, I think, that are coming out now where they're, you know, they focus on that 10% of what you really, really need. And then yes. you can add on from there rather than just like I've been through some of those training classes, too, where you're so overwhelmed within like the first two hours of like, oh, my gosh, like this thing pours coffee, I guess. I, I don't know. Like it, it just it does so much that you you lose focus on this is what I need from it. Right. Well, exactly. And what ends up happening is they usually get set up to do just the bare bone the bare bones requirements just to operate. Yeah. So a lot of service departments are left at that level where they're just, they know enough of the system to be able to, to operate their department. And that's the extent. Yeah. And we have to go even farther than that. Like every single process has to have a measurable element to it, hmm. you know? So then we have to just identify, okay, within the system you have, here's how you're going to measure the effectiveness of this. Yeah. So this process is working and we know it because this number reflects that. Yes. Got it. Or it's not working and this number reflects that. Yeah. Here's what I find is um, we seem to talk about process before we actually ever define the goal and objective. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> you know good point. I mean? That's a like really good point. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's like, you know, someone will come in and it's like, here are the 37 processes you need to follow to run a successful service department. And it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. But in reality, we actually, I spend more of my time, all right, consulting and coaching on developing out objectives and goals. And then once we have the objective and goal, reverse engineer backwards to identify the processes that are required to get us to where we want to go. I love that approach. It's a, probably not a new one. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's pretty no, straightforward. I, I know, I mean, that's, but, but that's also how most professional sports teams work, right? Yeah. Like if I'm a ball player, all right, and my batting average is I'm batting like a 230, all right, and I don't want to be doing that anymore. Okay, I know what my goal is. I know what my objectives or my objectives in between to get to that goal are going to be. All right. Now I got to reverse engineer backwards and identify the processes that are required so that you know I'm I'm hitting better on the bottom left corner. That's you know. That's what I love the about the money uh, the movie Moneyball, right? Like oh, where that's they, a favorite. they I love that one. Yeah, me too. And it <laughs> it's so applicable. And I, you know, I use a lot of sports analogies and everything that I do too. I'm a huge sports fan, but I really look at that as your techs are the players on the field, right? They're the ones that are um, they're really your superstars. And I love yep. your approach at the Mitsubishi store where you had the three uh, a level techs where the, the master techs where you want to, you want to bring exposure to them. And I think there's a lot of dealerships, shops in general that will try to hide those people because they don't want people to steal them. Right. And, and I, uh, yeah, I hear that one. I've gotten yeah. that one a lot. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I'm not going to market my team because I don't want some other people to know. I'm like, eh, so you're focusing you on know. the wrong thing. Yeah. You're focusing on, uh, you should be asking yourself the wrong question. It's not, it's not, you know, why, you know, are they going to leave me? It's, you should be asking yourself, why, why would, would they? they leave? Me? Yes. All right. So Thank what you. am I not doing as a coach right now to provide them what they want? So that was one of the big reasons why at my service department, I went to a four day on three day off schedule. Hmm. Because a lot of my team was looking for, look, my team was older. 
look, they were all they were master tax, so yeah. they had some time underneath their belt, right? Absolutely. And they just didn't want to be turning wrenches, you know, five six days a week. I'm like, okay, fine, don't. So I'm looking, like, what do you mean? I'm like, don't. Work four days on, three days off. How does that sound? You mean I can go up north to my to my cottage? I'm like, yes. Please do. I need you to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's a different approach, though, from a lot of management, right? Like where they're looking, and and I think it goes back to your point from before, where you're working on the employees outward toward the dealership. Yep. Uh, you know, you start with the employees, and what you know that might gain you another five years with that tech. That you know, if they if they stuck doing five or six days a week, and their body just continually breaks down. And they're they're not happy because they're in pain, but now you give them that off time to be able to to kind of let their bodies recover. And I don't think we we it is such a we we, we don't think position. we don't think of it that way because because we don't think of it as a people game. We think of it as a number game, and it's not. Yes. This is a people game. Yes. So anybody out there that thinks it's a number game, turn off this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's go listen to something else. It's it's really true though because and I, I'm I'm far more of lean toward the people side more than the number side, which isn't probably always the best business practice. But I always feel like if you take care of the people, the numbers will come. And that's like, I don't know, that's the way I always ran shops. And I, it stinks when you see techs that are just miserable because they're being managed oh. that way. And, and then 100%. shops that wonder why there's no loyalty when, you know, you're like, okay, like how, your decision to go to a four day on three day off uh, schedule, which was only from a master tech. Yeah. So that was also by design. Yeah. Because the other younger people said, that's what I have to look forward to. If I, if I, if I ah, put my time in, I love that. See, it's a great carrot. Oh, hundred percent it is. And, but, but it's also, look, it's, it's, we're going back to baseball analogies. We're gonna have all kinds of fun. Yeah, yeah, yes. Right? yes. When you put your pitcher out there. Do you throw him back in the next game and the next game, the next? No, no, you don't. Right, I recover. Yeah. Like his arm is only as good for such a long period of time. You need to give him that recovery time. Yeah. All right. And when you got some of these guys out there that have spent that much time, have earned the right to be in the place where they are, you got like that. that some may not care. Right. Some may know. I'm good. Top of my game. Six days a week. I'm solid. All right, you right. want the money? That's I'm I'm good with that. You're good with that, but I'm finding a lot aren't. You know, they would prefer to. You know, they've they've been in tech for the last eighteen or twenty five years. And they're yeah. like, you know, yes, I three days a week. I can. I mean, that's that's some recovery time. That's good. Well, and I think not just our industry. This is any industry. Looks at like millennials and says, oh, they they want flexible time and they want all this stuff and all these benefits. I said. So do boomers. So so does everybody else. So give it to they, them. Right. And that, that's just it. Like <laughs> if they might not be as vocal about it, but I guarantee they're going to love spending time at their cottage and, and doing, yep. you know, going four wheeling, whatever it is like that they enjoy to do. And then if they want to pick up more hours or they want to do something, they have. You well, know, so that, that was option. the other thing yeah. too, is because I was so focused on what my staff's needs were, right. What their whys were. I'll tell you right now, Jay, if I was ever in a bind, do you think these guys stood up and said, we got you? Yes. 100%. Yes. Like 100%. That's loyalty. That's You know like, what I mean? Like that's yeah. what it was. Like, I mean, I remember, remember we had this engine rebuild on like an Evo or something like that. God blew this engine. And it was, <laughs> I was like, well, that happens. Um, but, you know, like I, 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 warranty was only going to pay me out so much. All right. 
And, you know, we were, this one tech was falling behind. He was hurting. Uh, we were, I was going to start losing money on this job. Sure. And I just looked at some of my other guys, I said, guys, I need help. But like, we got you, you know, and I came back the next day and the three of them stayed the night and finished it. Wow. You know, see, that's what people like shop managers, they, they clamor for that type of thing and they, they yeah. really want that. And but you got to earn it. You do, you do. And I, I love your approach with the, the master tech too. They're that master level tech where you're, you're really building that up to be a great position, right? Like it's, yep. it, when you get there, when you get to that point, you're king of the hill. You're, you've done some things, right? Like you, you've earned that position. Well, I mean, in Ontario where I was, there was only 11, you know, triple diamond master techs. I had wow. three of them. That's insane. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and my goal was, is, you know, this was my ultimate goal. Is, you know, I was going to maintain the dealerships. If I was going to keep it, then I was going to have all of them. <laughs> like, yeah. I was, I was yeah. going to have them all, right? That's a hell you of know? a goal. That's, and that's then, great. And, and then what it is, is I could actually split the two different dealerships between, all right, like certain work goes to that dealership, certain work goes to this dealership. The idea with Hamilton, I was going to turn it into a training, uh, a training uh, department yeah. where it was like all my new guys all went down there because there was more bays. You know, I want them to train, get hone their hone their skills and stuff like that, and then I can move them to the bigger store, and uh, just be a better tech. But that's like, awesome. You know, it's also long game. This is the other thing I noticed too. Way too often we're playing for the short game. You know, like we just we're just looking like I just need I just I just I just need a body. Yeah. I need someone with a pulse and breathing and knows how to turn a wrench. <laughs> like you know how to turn a wrench? Okay, cool. Come come work for me. You can breathe. Come on in. You can breathe. Right. Yeah. And then we just drop them in there. We just leave them in there. We just like it's just like literally throwing someone into a pool who doesn't know necessarily how to swim overly well and say, "Have fun." Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about the different personalities too, and and when you're talking about a shop's culture, and then you start doing that where you're just bringing in somebody that can breathe because it gets a customer off your back or you know something like that. That's where the bad hires really happen at, and that's where yeah. you know, and it might not have like we had a a tech at one point that would not let people turn music on in the, in the shop. And it was just a, like a really awkward, quiet environment. And it was just one person. We removed that person. I actually had a similar issue like that. Yeah. We had one particular person that liked a very ethnic style of music and everyone else in the shop didn't like it. <laughs> you know what? Guess what? A set of hundred dollar wireless headphones fix that problem. And Solve the problem. That's I'm smart. serious. Like That's I smart. was just like, you know what? And it looked, everyone else saw the problem was taken care of super fast. And the person that received the wireless headphones were like, okay, you do care. Like, I'm like, look, if that's what you need to listen to, <laughs> not my jam. All right. But if that's what you need to listen to, you know, to, to, to keep, to keep that momentum and get yourself into the rhythm, then I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to support you. Yeah. I went at Best Buy, bought a hundred dollars set of wireless headphones. I'm like, here you go. And that's awesome. <laughs> like, we make these big deals out of nothing. Like it's like we're making these mountains out of molehills, and it's like, no, guys, just. I like, I don't know why music is so important in a shop. It is, and I, it I is, get it. It like, is super important. Well, and I, I I've got a story back when I was first coming out. I was in tech school. And I was working at a Midas, uh, yeah. and that'll teach you some things. Like I I there that was a whole new world to me going to to work uh, at this particular Midas. But I'm working there and. There was this big guy. He looked like Stone Cold Steve Austin, shaved head, like just a ripped guy. And then this other guy that was more my size, smaller guy, but very mouthy. And so they would get into arguments like almost every day. 
And one day the guy pulls in and says, ah, somebody, one like country music, one like rock or rap or something. And so like, for me, I don't care. I'll listen to pretty much anything. Maybe the ethnic thing might be a little bit uh, outside my comfort zone, but I, I, uh, he gets out and goes over and just punch it, like flat lays this guy out. I mean, just <laughs> like he's, I told you not to move the, like change the radio station and yep. goes and just punched, like knocked him out. And that was like my <laughs> second week on the job. And I'm like, wow, I, I come from small town, Wisconsin. It's not, uh, you don't really handle it that way. Uh, but it was, uh, as a true, uh, eye opener as to how different the world is, uh, you know, everywhere. And well, this look, was we just, we, so. look, bottom line is we have to put our techs first, right? Happy techs make for happy customers. Happy customers make for happy profitability, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an easy, easy one. So the one thing that's like bugging me right now, right? Is I have a fair amount of techs that are legitimately concerned. Some are, but some, but a good chunk are, all right, concerned about getting in, in and out of strangers' vehicles. Hmm. And I'm finding right now that the a lot of service departments like sanitization process is really not up to code. And if they are doing it, they're doing it more for the benefit of the customer. customer yeah, yeah. And they're not doing it for the benefit of the technician. And I had a bunch of technicians that I know come back, you know, from, you know, from being furloughed or being off and they're not really feeling the love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's just, they're, they're, and, and that was, and it's a little thing, but little things make big difference, right? Me going out and getting that guy's headphones made a, a little thing made a big difference. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't see service departments doing an overly good job of discussing all right, the precautionary efforts that they've gone to do to protect their techs. A lot the essential of workers, about, right? right? The essential workers, yeah. 100%. I can't afford a single one of my techs out there to be sick. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't, like, that, that would, I, I, like, if I'm running a department right now, I, just from a profitability perspective, that would just, it would not be good. You know, because <laughs> yeah. like, what if it, like, think about this. One of your texts, one of your texts, look, the probability is small, but I'm just saying there's still a probability. So there's a concern. Sure. Right. One of your texts, you know, contracted the virus. Now you got a whole department that's wondering, well, crap, I, I used that guy's socket wrench last week. And I think he used my, 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 uh, my impact gun. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, this is legitimate concern. Yeah. All right that the sell side of the business doesn't necessarily have because they can be, they can, they can social, easily socially distance themselves. But look, a good tech, they got to get in these cars. I mean, yeah. they got to get up in them, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and I just don't see service departments taking the time and effort to do that. And it concerned me a lot, so much so that's why I went and launched the, uh, uh, the new sanitization company that I'm running right now. What's it called? Selector site is the product. Okay. Okay. Which is not a new product, by the way. Okay. okay. It is a product that's been been out in the market for restaurant industries and the healthcare industry, right? It's look when it comes to sanitizing, you kind of have three or four different families of chemicals, right? You kind of have your your corrosive family, which will have some type of acid to it, right? Then you'll have your bleach family, you know that look all these things will kill stuff, right? Yeah. This one falls into the chlorine kind of area. It's a, it is it's actually hundred percent chlorine dioxide. Oh wow! Um, and the the thing that I thought was really important about this, we did months of research on which product was going to work, is that this product is already used in the food industry. Mm. So that means it's safe, safe to touch. It's safe to inhale. 
technically you could drink it. I would not recommend it by any means. Um, it's like taking a big swig of chlorine. Like it's not going to kill you, but it ain't going to make you feel good either, right? right. Um, but the cool thing with the, also the way that this product works is that it gets, a, it gets uh, pressurized into a gas, which means right now a lot of dealerships are just spraying and wiping. Okay, well, that will get the surface area. Technicians go way beyond surface area. I mean, I yeah. saw the other guy taking apart a console. He was underneath the bloody thing. You think they sanitize underneath there? Hell no, they don't. No. Right? So uh, this particular product, since it does turn into a gas, it lifts up. So you spray it, it lifts up, covers the entire vehicle. And it's the only thing I found out there that has those type of properties that are in that family of chemicals that have been actually lab tested to kill corona. So nice. coronavirus, COVID. So, um, you know, a lot of people thought that this was just like a big marketing play for me and just one more push to make a little extra money. But no, I saw a, a serious concern and I'm like, how can I go answer that concern? You know? Well, if, if you read, if you read message boards on Facebook, you, you saw like, especially when COVID was first starting out really, really like when it was like, oh yeah, this is a real thing. Text saying, you know, okay, we're essential workers, like, uh, you're just going to throw oh, am us I out getting there protected? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, like, I mean, I'm not trying to put them side by side, but yeah, you know, look, I mean, there were, there were a bunch of people coming to the help and need of, you know, uh, the first responders, but you know, I mean, guess what? These first responders are getting to where they got to go is because some technician helped them do it. Right. And it just, they, they, they just weren't getting the love that they needed. They weren't getting the, the processes weren't in place. That's the bottom sure. line. And, you know, a lot of, and then I started doing research on the products that people were using. A lot of them were corrosive, which is not healthy for anybody to be inhaling, right. you know? Um, and some of them, I even found one. Okay. I got a funny story. I had one dealership, Porsche dealership actually use a, by accident, they used a product that had a bit of bleach in it and destroyed oh, the no. interior of a 911 Targa. Oh no. <laughs> $30,000 oh. to replace the interior of this car because, <laughs> uh, because the guy went to go grab uh, another bottle of the, of the sanitizing solution and grabbed the bathroom cleaner by accident and just went to town on this bloody thing. It was um, clean. It was clean. <laughs> Little pink dots everywhere all over the Alcantara leather, but um, <laughs> that'll make you cry. But uh, no, that's been a fun project. And like I said, it, it's cool because operationally, it's something that is great for the customer, but great for the technicians yeah. and technicians out there that use it now to sanitize their tools every night before they go home. Man, that's um, interesting. And they just, there's that level. Look, anything I could do, all right, as a, as a service advisor to create, to increase in confidence in my technicians. So here's what I've been seeing, and I don't know if you've been seeing the same thing. I've actually see, I've actually been seeing um, the time per RO actually increase. I've definitely seen that. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and and, and I'm I'm looking at not only just not only from a profitability perspective, but just the amount of time that like just a job that used to happen before pre-COVID is taking this long. Now it's taking this long, and I'm and I'm looking at this, and I'm out there, I'm watching, I'm in these service departments, and I'm finding a lot of it just has to do maybe with the the confidence level of the tech. Yeah. You know, they're just not. Some are okay. Yeah. But just some aren't. I just think it's our responsibility as a as a service department, as a service manager, to to address that. I 100% agree. We're about up on our hour, Jason. I, wow, I should. Uh, it was fast. This was awesome. This was a lot of fun. I, I've got to finish off. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Jason has his own podcast. I'll let you plug your podcast. But yep. the last question you ask 
on your podcast. I'm going to put it back in your court, which is <laughs> what is pissing you off? Oh man, what is pissing me off? Uh, <laughs> so much. Everybody knows Jason's always mad about something. Um, uh, you know what? And it's been kind of the overall theme of our entire podcast today. Yeah. And you can see it's just, I get, I get, I get overly excited about it. I want, I, I need to see it. I need to see more service departments putting their texts and their advisors first and really having goals around creating happiness for these people. Yeah. Because like I said, the byproduct of them being happy is really happy customers. So like, it's just, I, it's a better world to I, live if in. I, yeah. If I can, if I can take that idea and just feed it into <laughs> service managers heads, like your staff's happiness is your priority and you have to be responsible for it. That's what pisses me off. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. I had to throw it back at you at least once. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, so uh, how about a, a quick plug for uh, everything you've got going on? Yeah. Hey, guys, if you want to follow me or check out any of my content, you literally just look up Strategy with Jason on all social networks. Um, You're everywhere. Literally everywhere. YouTube, podcast, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find me absolutely everywhere at Strategy with Jason. I would uh, encourage everybody to reach out to him. He's, he's a great guy uh, and just has a lot of great knowledge about our industry and, and what we've got going on. So thanks for being on the show today, Jason, and uh, hope to have you on again. No, thanks for having me, Jay. It's, it's, it's always great to jam with like-minded people. So this has been a lot of fun. Yes, for sure. Have a good day. Thanks.